Hello, and welcome to the Embassy City Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Come on, put your hands together and give Jesus some praise in the building today. Anybody still living in that winning season? All the winners, put your hands together. Come on now. Well, I'm back again. You know, this is my 10th time preaching here this year. And I choose to believe it's because y'all really love me. And if there's another story, don't tell me about it. Just let me believe what I believe. (laughs) But if you're a first-time guest here at Embassy City, we want to say welcome to church. Welcome to Embassy City. If you're watching online, our Vitamin E family, thank you so much for tuning in. I really believe that God's got a word for somebody today. And uh, let me give you a little insight, a little context before I get into this word. So, you know, when you get ready to preach... Uh, generally, God gives a word, and then he gives a scripture, and he gives context. And uh, I had what I felt like was the word for today. But sometimes you're unsure if it's the right word. <laughs> little vulnerability here as a preacher. And so I, I just asked the Lord, all right, Lord, I know this is what you've given me to give to your people, but let it be affirmed. And so what the Lord told me, Uh, yesterday is that this word is for people who are in the waiting room. Now, what does it mean to be in the waiting room? All of us at some point find ourselves in the waiting room. Anybody know that God has a plan for your life? Let me see you in. Like, you know that God has a plan. That should be all of us because there is not a single person created without a purpose in their life. When God created you, he created you for a specific reason, with a specific call to fulfill a specific purpose. And I don't have time to get into scripture, but it is the longing and desire within every one of us to go chase after that call that God has on our lives. In fact, the number one question statistically that people ask when they come to church is, what on earth am I here for? Because there is this desire within us that knows that God has more for us. God has something real, something specific. And oftentimes we even get to taste of what that is. We get a glimpse into what that is. And it's very difficult to know what God's called you to do and then find yourself in a waiting room, in a waiting season. So that's what God spoke to me yesterday. I didn't collaborate with the worship team and the host, but when I came in this morning and they sang the song, Wait on the Lord, I was like, all right, God, (laughs) I get it. And then obviously Michael uh, elaborated a little bit on Luke chapter two, and this is where I'm actually going to start as well. So I believe God's got a word for somebody, somebody that's in the waiting room, somebody that is uh, between the fullness of what God wants to do in your life and right now trying to figure out Why am I waiting? When is the door going to open? I believe God's got a word for you. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 2, the book of John chapter 2. Just a few passages of scripture. Here it goes. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, Fam, they out of wine. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but most of us, 
know that moms have a unique ability to say a whole lot with very little. <laughs> there are four words here. They have no wine. Now, as a teenager, I remember I'd be playing video games or whatever, and my mom would just walk by and say, your room is dirty. <laughs> I knew what that meant. That meant get your tail up off this couch, put the remote up, go get the vacuum cleaner, go fold your clothes, make sure that everything is nice, and then when you're done with that, then you can get back to your games. Moms don't need to say a whole lot to say a whole, uh, they don't need to say a whole lot to say a whole lot, you know what I'm saying? So she says, they have no wine, and Jesus said to her, woman! <laughs> now, I don't know what kind of mom Mary was, but <laughs> there is no way that I'd be saying that to my mom. I wouldn't even be here today. Thank God for mercy, you know what I'm saying? I was smart enough not to say that. Woman, what does this have to do with me? <laughs> I promise you, if I said that, I would have woke up last year. <laughs> She'd have slapped me into the year before. What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, I love Mary is so in tune with her motherly instincts. She doesn't even address Jesus. She just hears him out. Okay. <laughs> she goes to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> That's what you call a gangster mom move. <laughs> Boy, I ain't even bothering with you right now. You're going to do what I ask you to do. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, come here, fam. Let me talk to you real quick. And said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, <laughs> that's another way of saying, when they pass the point of being able to distinguish the difference, <laughs> they're having a good time. Then the poor wine. Most people serve top shelf first, and then they just give you the cheap stuff later. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. For the next few moments, I want to take my title from verse number 11, just one word, and that is, but you have kept. The word kept is where I want to take my title. That word kept does not mean imprisoned or held back or rejected, but that word kept means to reserve. And so today my title is Reserved. That's the title for today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you that you are here in this room, that you've drawn us here, that you've um, given us the ability to stand in your presence, to feel your presence. I pray that in the next few moments as we dig into your word, give us ears to hear, a heart to receive, a mind to understand what your spirit would say to us. Leave, help us to leave here different than the way we came. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. amen. 
So I don't know about you, but I've oftentimes, uh, when I think of Jesus, I've wondered what Jesus was like as a child. Have you ever wondered that? Like, what was Jesus like? Was he like a normal kid? I have six-year-old, three-year-old, 11-month-old. And Janice and I, we are raising our uh, children in the fear of the Lord. But we also know that they are not filled with the Holy Spirit yet. (laughs) And it's very obvious. (laughs) Because there are times when we got to intercede. We got to pray for them. Sometimes we feel like we got to cast something out of them. (laughs) We don't hold back the rod. You know what I'm saying? Like we help them along in this journey. And we're like, God, as soon as possible, fill these children with the Holy Ghost. (laughs) So you wonder, like, what was Jesus like? Because Jesus was the Son of God, and he was fully aware that he was, I'm sure, from the very beginning. We heard Michael talk about it before, that at the age of eight days old, he was taken to the temple to be circumcised, as was the Jewish rite, and then he was brought back to Simeon to be presented to the Lord, to be dedicated to the Lord. And so the question, though, is, was, was, how was Jesus as a kid, like, Obviously, he didn't sin, so was he, like, overtly obedient? (laughs) Like, you know, every kid has a lemonade stand, right? Anybody else do that? Like, I had a lemonade stand. You don't make any money, but as a kid, you want to have a lemonade stand. Did Jesus have a miracle stand? I wonder that. Was he out there, like, hustling, you know? Did he have a side gig with miracles? Like, you give me 25 cents, I can heal you. I can heal your problem right now. (laughs) Give me a dollar, I can really turn it up. Like, what was Jesus like? So the scripture doesn't give us any indication. There's one example of Jesus at the age of eight days old. And then the second example that we have, we find him in Luke chapter 2 at 12 years old. And the scripture tells us that Mary and Joseph were on their way from Nazareth to Jerusalem along with their family and friends, as was the custom every year. Uh, the Jewish people, would, would, they would go to Jerusalem to observe the Feast of Passover. And so they go there. It's about a four or five day journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem. They get to Jerusalem. They're there. There's a lot of festivities that are going on. There are sacrifices. All these things that happen during Passover. And then the scripture says that they're on their way back to Nazareth. Now, the custom at that point, uh, at that time, was that when you traveled, you traveled together. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, everybody went together. And so they're on their way back from Jerusalem, going back to Nazareth, and it's been about a day, and Mary realizes, hey, wait a minute, where is Jesus? <laughs> so I've, I've, uh, I'll, commit, I'll, I'll admit to you, I've lost our kids before. <laughs> Not that long, though. <laughs> Just for a little bit. And when I lost them, I lost my mind because I was like, where are my kids at? Right? Could you imagine losing your kid for an entire day? So Mary has lost Jesus, and so they begin to look for Jesus among the acquaintances and friends and and family members, but they can't find him, so now they're really tripping. So the scripture says that Mary and Joseph go back to Jerusalem, so they're a day away. It takes a day to get back. They're looking for Jesus everywhere in the playground uh, with friends, like, where is he at? Is he doing normal kid stuff? No. They finally hear from somebody that Jesus is at the temple. So Mary and Joseph roll up to the temple, and there he is, Jesus, 12 years old, having a conversation with the teachers and rabbis in the temple. And the scripture says that the teachers marveled at the wisdom that he had at that point because of the questions that he asked and his understanding of scripture. And so Mary rolls up on Jesus. She goes, boy, what you doing? 
probably grabs him by the ear, twists it real good. I don't care if you are the son of God, boy. You better stop playing with me. Or you're going to go to your heavenly father sooner than later. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> but, but, but she was upset at him, right? It had been about four days that she hadn't seen Jesus. And so she's like, what are you doing? And, and Jesus looks at her and says, don't you know? I got to be about my father's business. Voice probably cracking, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what I would have done as a parent if I heard my child say that. Knowing, knowing that he's the son of God, knowing all this, I still would have tripped out. Boy, you better not talk to me like this in front of these rabbis. <laughs> and the scripture says that Mary looks at him, and this, I believe, is the first introduction to us understanding that Jesus understood his assignment. Because at the age of 12, Jesus was keenly aware of what his gifting was, what his talent was, what his ability was. And now, not only were his parents always telling him who he was, now the rabbis and the teachers were affirming to him, you truly are different. And Jesus thought that at that point, at the age of 12, that it was his time to start shining. For his, It was his time to start teaching and start moving and operating in his gifting. But Mary had an intuition that nobody else did. And she said, it's not time yet. So the scripture says that they take him back home. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus, verse number 51 of Luke chapter 2, it says that Jesus submitted himself to Mary and Joseph. Now think about this. The very son of God who is aware of who he is, who is aware of his gifting and his calling, who's aware of the talents, who's, who's been affirmed now, much, much to his surprise. He thought it was the time. He thought it was the moment. He thought it was the season. He was like, this is the time for me to shine. And yet he submits himself to two humans. And the scripture says that because he submitted himself, that he grew Verse number 52 of Luke chapter 2. He grew in stature and in favor with God and with men and in wisdom. And then the story kind of dissipates. We don't hear anything else about Jesus from the time of 12 until John chapter 2, which is where we read our passage. And John chapter 2 is very interesting. First of all, John, the writer, is he's the writer of one of the four gospels, but when you look at the four Gospels, there are three that are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Those are Synoptic Gospels. And they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they run parallel. They talk about the miracles, the signs, the wonders. They talk about what Jesus did. And it's very interesting if you read them side by side. John is the only Gospel that's singled out as being different because John spent most of his time talking about who Jesus was and not necessarily what Jesus did. When he did talk about what Jesus did, he only talked about it in relation to who Jesus was. So when we look at what John writes about, we always have to look a little deeper to see what does this miracle, what does this event say about the man Christ Jesus? So now we see Jesus at the age of 30. He's just been baptized by John. Uh, he goes into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he begins to gather his disciples. But we have no recorded miracle ever of Jesus. At this point, Jesus is just considered a teacher. His disciples are following him because he's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He knows the scripture. He has wisdom. But now they find themselves at this party, this wedding feast. And it, by the indication, it seemed like it was his mom that was invited. And then his mom had a plus 13. 
Jesus and his 12 disciples. So they all are at this wedding feast, and the party's popping. Everybody's having a good time. DJ's rolling, doing his thing. I don't know what kind of music the DJ was playing at that time, but I'm sure it was popping. It was having a good time. Uh, the wine is flowing, and, and all of a sudden, they run out of wine, and somebody somehow gets the message to Mary and probably in a little gossip circle. You know what I'm saying? You always, at every wedding, there's the, gospel ta- the gossip table. You know what I'm saying? And Mary most likely was there. And, Man, did you hear that they have run out of wine? What kind of wedding is this? I'm about to leave early. <laughs> so, so Mary, she goes, you know what? I think it's time. So she goes to Jesus. She says, hey, Jesus, uh, they're out of wine. Jesus instinctively knows that his mom has some expectations of him. So he says to her, hey, mom, what does this have to do with me? I'm having a good time. I'm having a party right now. In fact, the boys and I are about to go on the dance floor. We've seen some girls. <laughs> I'm trying to hook my brothers up. I'm going to do some miracles, and they're going to get, they're going to get connected. <laughs> so, so, so Jesus looks at Mary and says, it's not even my time yet, because remember, mom, when I was 12 and I thought it was my season, and I thought it was my time, and everybody affirmed it, and God confirmed it, and everybody knew that it was time. You're the one that held me back, and so I I don't know how this is my season, my time. And Mary says to Jesus, nothing. She just goes and says to the servant, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Mary had an inclination, an understanding that at the age of 12, it wasn't time yet, but right now, it's the time for him to step out and do what he was created to do. And so the scripture says that, that, that the servants come to Jesus, and Jesus, he says, all right, I need you to grab these, these jars and fill them up with water. They fill them up with water, and then he says, dip into the water. They dip into the water, and now the water has become wine. And the scripture says they take the wine to the, the master of the ceremony. And what you have to understand about events at that time, whether ceremonies or, or weddings, whatever, there's always a master of ceremonies. There was an MC. There was somebody who made sure that everyone was having a good time, that the food was good, that the wine was great he was the one that kind of was the quality control and they bring the wine to him to test and and taste to make sure that it it, it passed the test for other people to drink and and the 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 master of ceremony he drinks the wine and it's something interesting that he says is he says everybody every wedding every feast every type of event that i've been to the wine is always good that they serve first because when people start drinking wine and they get a little happy (laughs) and they have a good time, they stop being able to taste what the wine is like, so then they start giving the cheap stuff later because they've already drunk enough to not be able to distinguish the difference. But this is unique because what y'all served up was good, but what y'all serving now is even better. Why? Because it's been kept. That word kept means to reserve. It means that it is a reserved wine. It's something that the, the reserve process for wine, I don't know a whole lot about wine, but I had to go back and look. But the word reserve means to keep back, to contain, to attend to careful, to take care of, to guard is is to keep one in the state of which he is to observe to reserve to undergo something what the master of the wedding feast was telling the bridegroom is this thing that you are serving has gone through an aging process and now that it's being poured out it's better than anything that has ever been poured out before now i have read this scripture 
probably hundreds of times. And I've always wondered, why was this the first miracle that Jesus performed? Why didn't he just raise somebody from the dead? Bam, I'm here, y'all. <laughs> hey, why didn't he just open the blind eyes? Why didn't he walk on water as his first miracle? Why did he turn water into wine? And I felt like in this, in, this, uh, in this moment while I was preparing for this message, I felt like God was highlighting something for me. Because again, John is always writing and he's always trying to give us an image and a view of Jesus and the miracles that are performed. And all of a sudden I begin to see the parallels between the wine and Jesus. Because when the wine was held back and it was reserved, things were happening in the wine that could not happen when it was poured out prematurely. Things happen in the reserve reservation process in wine that can't happen in wine that's already been poured out right away because things begin to be put into the wine and taken out of it the acidity the bite gets taken out of it it get, becomes more smoother the potency gets out of it and I believe that Jesus was trying to demonstrate to those that were at the wedding that just like the wine has been reserved and now it's ready to be poured out to, to be able to quench the thirst of many here I too have been in reservation mode but now it's time for me to be poured out because I was in a reservation process Jesus from the age of 12 knowing what he was called to do knowing that he had the giftings and the calling and he had the affirmation of people had to go into reservation because there was something that he still had to grow in even the son of God had to be in the waiting room even the Son of God, who was keenly aware of who he was and what his gift was and what his talents were and what he was called to do, still had to submit himself in the waiting process. I feel like preaching to somebody today that's in the waiting room. And you've been wondering, why does the waiting room feel cold? Why do I see everybody else getting poured out? Why do I see everybody else living in their purpose? Why do I see everybody else getting there sooner? I know what God's called me to do. I'm keenly aware of my gift and my calling. I'm keenly aware of what the Lord has put on my heart. But why haven't the doors completely opened? It's because you're in the waiting room. And oftentimes what happens to a lot of us is we confuse reservation with rejection. Because it's very easy for the wine to feel rejected while it's in the basement being reserved. So the question is, what do you do in the waiting room? How do you manage being in reservation? I want to help somebody today. Number one is submit. <laughs> this is one of the hardest things that you can do in your life. Is to submit, and the word submit literally means to send under. Submit. Sub means to send, or to go under, and mit means to send. When you would hear about somebody submitting a letter, a resignation, or submitting a letter, or a proposal, whatever, it's the word picture of going to somebody's office and sending the letter underneath the door. It means to send under. God, when he has you in the waiting room, is calling us to submit under someone's authority. You're like, well, I'm submitted to God. <laughs> no, God uses people. There's not a single person in the Bible who's been greatly used of God 
that did not have to submit to a person. Not a single person that you can read about in the Bible that didn't submit to somebody. Even people they didn't like. David had to submit himself to Saul, even though Saul was trying to kill him. Joseph had to submit himself to Potiphar and Pharaoh, even though, even though he got sent into prison. The question is, are you submitted where you are? I know you want the promotion, but have you submitted yourself to the boss that you have now? <laughs> you know, people always want to get promoted, but God calls us to submission. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, submitted himself. He didn't submit himself. He, yes, he was submitted to the Father, but the Scripture literally says that he submitted himself to Mary and Joseph. Can you imagine having the ability that Jesus has? And saying, you know what? I'm submitting this. I'm sending myself under Mary and Joseph. The second thing that you do while you're in the waiting room, in the waiting room is that you grow where you're planted. It's so easy for us to be in the waiting room and get frustrated and, and hold back using our gifts and talents because we don't feel like it's the platform. But the question is, can you grow where you are planted? Because I promise you, you will not have the exposure, and, and it's not always a stage, but you won't go into the fullness of what God has for you until you learn to grow where you're planted. So I, I deal with this all the time as a pastor. Like, people will come up and be like, bro, I'm called to ministry, man. I feel like God's got this anointing on my life. I'm called to speak. I just want a mic in my hand. And I go like this, bro, when was the last time you opened a door or prayed for somebody? Or invited somebody for church because you have to grow where you're planted. The scripture says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men while he was submitted to his parents in the waiting process. Here's the third thing. Number one is submit. Number two is grow where you're planted. And number three is Wait to be released. This is also one of the hardest things because Jesus could have at the age of 12 said, you know what, mom and dad, forget y'all. I'm being about my father's business. Y'all ever seen those kids that pack their bags and leave? And they're like six years old. <laughs> Jesus for real could have done it, right? And he had, all, he had all the giftings and callings and everything to have gone out and said, you know what, I'm going to be about my father's business. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, waited to be released by his mother. What? Have you ever thought about that? The very one that said it's not time yet and brought him back into hiding was the very one that said now it's time. Jesus submitted himself so much to Mary and Joseph that when he came to the wedding feast, he even said, I don't know if it's time. I don't know if it's my time. He allowed Mary, his mother, to identify the time when it was time for him to start his ministry. The question is, can you wait for the release? Can you wait for the release? And what do you do while you wait? You have to worship. You have to pray. You have to be in tune with God. And I love the story of Jesus, but, uh, you know, sometimes we're like, man, that's Jesus. You know, like, like, I'm a human. Like, I don't have the fullness of Godhead inside of me. I don't know if I could do this. Well, I want to give you one more story as I move to a close, and that's the story of David. So when we hear about the story of David, uh, we often think of it in terms of 
David being great and, and him being a king, but let's go all the way back to the time when David was anointed because the scripture says that Saul is tripping, right? He's acting crazy. The spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. And now uh, Samuel has been called by God to go anoint another king. The only thing that God says to Samuel is, I want you to go to the house of Jesse and is one of his sons. So Samuel rose up, uh, or yes, yeah, Samuel rose up to Jesse, and he's like, hey, you got any sons uh, that I can check out to see if they're anointed to be king? And, and the scripture says that Jesse begins to bring his sons before the prophet, right? And each one of the sons that Jesse brings up is not the one. Man, you look great, but you're not the one. Man, you got talents, but you're not the one. And, and God doesn't pick any of them. And so Samuel looks at Jesse and is like, listen, God, uh, God don't get it wrong. So somebody's lying, and it ain't God. You got anybody else? And then the scripture says that Jesse says, yeah, I got one more. But he's in the field watching sheep. I'm going to send somebody to come go get him. And oftentimes, uh, pastors and preachers, we will, we, will, we will use the story. We will talk about how David was rejected by his own father. <laughs> Got to get that vibrato in there. <laughs> he was rejected. He was ostracized. He wasn't even thought of as a son. But I beg to differ. I believe that the reason why Jesse didn't pull up David is because he was afraid to lose him. Because think about it. If you were going to, if somebody came and asked you, if you're a parent, you got several kids, and someone came and said, hey, I need one of your kids, which one you send in first? <laughs> Some of y'all thinking real hard, too. <laughs> I for sure send the middle one. <laughs> but most likely, you would present the ones that you don't mind losing. <laughs> I mean, y'all would. I wouldn't do that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> somebody else, somebody online would do that. I wouldn't do that. But Jesse, remember that sheep are lively, is livelihood, right? So everything that Jesse owned was in livestock. His, his current uh, legacy, his future legacy, everything that he owned was possessed within the livestock that he had. And he had to have somebody that he trusted with all of his heart, with all of his substance, with everything that was within him. He had to find somebody that he could trust. And the one person that he felt like was the greatest of all to keep everything intact for the entire family was David. I don't believe that David was rejected. I believe that David was being reserved. Because what was happening with David is while he was being reserved, he learned how to kill a lion. He learned how to kill a bear. He learned how to use a swing. A sling. He learned how to watch uh, his father's sheep. He learned how to protect his father's sheep. Everything that he needed to be a great king, he had to learn while he was being reserved. While he was in the waiting room. And so the question today is, are you in the waiting room? Then don't resist it. Because what God is doing with you in the waiting room, he cannot do with you if you are prematurely poured out. Because here's what happened with David. With the oil dripping from him, musicians, please come. With the oil still dripping off of him, the anointing of God still being on him. He's ready to step into everything that God has for him. He's like, man, I'm anointed king. Hey, I can do this, blah, blah, blah. And... and and Jesse says, no, it's not time yet. 
I need you to go back, submit yourself, grow where you're planted, and wait for the release. But when he was released, it wasn't for his benefit. It wasn't for his glory. It was for others. Notice the difference, even with Jesus, at the language that he used from when he was 12 until he was 30. When he was 12, he said, I must be about my father's business. But when he was 30, he said, I don't know if it's time yet. You see the humility? And it was when he was at that place that it was time. So many of us are in the waiting room. We've tasted, we've seen, we've experienced the goodness of God, the call of God. And I've asked the worship team to come because I've, I feel like we need to go back into that worship song about waiting on the Lord. Because for a lot of us, we're here and we, we're dealing with Maybe feelings of rejection, maybe feelings that God doesn't care, maybe feelings that God's forgotten about you, maybe feelings of, of is this really what I'm meant to do? And, and you're questioning the call of God on your life, but I'm here to remind you that what you're experiencing is not rejection, it's reservation. Because <laughs> God is putting things into you and pulling stuff out of you that he can't do in public. God is affirming you and confirming you in private so that when the time comes, you will be more pure, you will be more holy, you will be more consecrated, you will be more humble, you will be more apt to feed people when it comes out in public. So if you're in this place, would you close your eyes? I want to see the hands of those that feel like you're in a waiting room. Just put your hand up right now. If you're online, just put it in the chat. You're in the, you feel like you're in the waiting room. Just keep that hand up because I want to tell you right now, whatever the enemy has told you about being in the waiting room, whatever kind of seeds of doubt and unbelief that he may have planted in your mind, I resist it right now in the name of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that you're in the waiting room because God's preparing you. <laughs> so just keep that hand up. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, you see these hands that are lifted right now. I pray, God, that there would be a supernatural faith that arises right now help us not to resist the season of waiting but help us to recognize that in the waiting you're doing something special in our lives you're doing something holy you're doing something righteous you're doing something good just as the wine has been kept until the proper time to be poured out I pray that right now my brothers and sisters are being purified and made whole and being prepared for the time that they step into the fullness of their call. So we give your name all the praise and the glory and the adoration because you're worthy of it in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet? I've given you three things that you do in this season of waiting. One is submit yourself. The second is grow where you're planted. The third is wait for the release. But here I want to kick in a fourth one. This is a bonus one. And that is while you wait, worship. Because your worship puts God back in his rightful place in your mind. Yes. Worship is not about us. 
It's not about how we feel. It's not about what we're going through. It's about who Jesus is, where he is. And so as we get back into worship, I want you to take this moment to just erase every bit of doubt and unbelief that may have crept into your mind about being in a waiting season. And I want you just to concentrate on the goodness of God. So can you lift both your hands right now? Father, as we go into this time of worship, God, I pray, Lord God, that you would begin to strengthen my brothers and sisters, God. I pray, Lord God, that you would begin to open up doors that they never thought were possible. I pray, Lord God, that you would begin to strengthen us, that you would give us uh, motivation and faith and power and grace in this season. So right now, God, we take off every chain, we take off every sin, we lay aside every weight, and we give you uninhabited worship, God, because you're a good God, you're a holy Holy God, you're a righteous God. And right now we give your name all the praise, all the glory, all the honor because you're worthy of it. In Jesus' name, somebody put your hands together and give Jesus some praise. Thanks for listening today. If this message spoke to you in any way, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. We would like to connect with you. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit embassycity.com. You can watch live on Sundays and view past messages on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Embassy City Church. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Embassy Urban. If you'd like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at embassycity.com or text Embassy City, all one word, to 77977. We pray you have a great week. Thanks for listening today.